I clearly did not get the wear yellow to church memo today. Good job, everybody else. I, I apologize. We will fix that. Okay, and then I'll be the only person wearing yellow next week. That's how it'll work. But uh, I, we've, I've mentioned over the last several months that we've, Pastor and I have talked about different people from the gym that we've asked you to pray for. Well, yesterday, Pastor and I competed in a uh, powerlifting competition, which, by the way, he's now a state champion. So props to him. Now, he also had, like, no competition. There are no other one-legged <laughs> old people that were competing yesterday. So he did win by default, but... He did awesome yesterday, but um, there was a, a little slideshow up on one of the TVs in the, in the gym yesterday so that the announcer could kind of talk about you, and I would filled his out, and it asked for occupation. Well, I put pastor. I mean, that's his occupation. What was it probably a dozen people yesterday had asked he and I where the church is, and there's one, man, one young man in particular. I'd like you. I'm not going to give you his full name, just his first name. Put Mason on your prayer list. He either lifted right before, right after pastor the whole morning long. Mason is a sophomore at uh, Central Connecticut State University. Sharp, sharp kid. And uh, according, he sent me a couple messages on Instagram last night. He's probably going to come visit church soon. So God, God opened some pretty intriguing doors yesterday. We didn't go to reach people. We went to lift heavy things. God doesn't care where you are. You can tell people about Jesus. It was a pretty cool day. So um, so pray for Mason. Pray for Mason. Sharp kid. Uh, Judges chapter 6. We're actually going to start at verse 1. We're going to reread a little bit of the beginning of the chapter since we are starting a new uh, section here in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is it's very distinctly broken up into different sections by each particular judge. And we mentioned this last week. There is, in some instances, there's a pretty massive time gap in between. Ehud was a judge for how long? 80 years. So we're talking multiple generations long that that guy was in charge. So when we jumped between Ehud and Shamgar was tied somewhere in, in there, and then to Deborah, we'd had a very large gap in time. Are we okay? And then when Deborah was a judge, she was a judge for how long? 40 years. You can literally look at chapter 5, verse 31. The last verse there, it says, And the land had rest 40 years, giving us an indication how long she was kind of in charge, if you will, there. And then at the beginning of this chapter, look at verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So from the time that Deborah and Barak won their battle to the time we're getting into the introduction of Gideon, we've got about 47 years or so here. Are we okay? So... Paying attention to timing does get a little bit difficult in the book of Judges, but God didn't leave you hanging. He literally explained it word for word. Uh, if you're like me, you might want to just jot those numbers down in the margin of your Bible, because sometimes the, the way our human brain works, when we write something down, we have a tendency to remember it better. Anybody else like that? I have three by five cards everywhere. They're in my Bible Okay, uh, they're in my pocket currently. There's about 40 of them on my desk with scattered random notes because somebody will walk by and tell me something. Mrs. Ball knows this firsthand in school. Teachers walk by and, hey, what about this, this, and this? The moment I walk away from you, I have no idea what we just talked about. Zero clue. It's, it's selective amnesia is really what it is. Um, it, it, no, I'm old. No, it's selective. I'm choosing not to... Can I go home now? Uh, mm. I did. That was rude. I I'm proud of you. Anyways, if I don't write stuff down, I don't remember it. So 
the, the ability here in the book of Judges to write down some of the numbers kind of helps us keep track that so far, as we're jumping into verses 1 and 2 of Judges chapter 6, we're about two centuries after the death of Joshua. A long time has passed here. A lot of time. And that's one of the, uh, personally, I find that one of the struggles as I'm reading my Bible sometimes is paying attention to the timeline of how things are going to place. We're used to United States history. Our history doesn't go back that far. It barely eclipses 400 years, barely. You realize we're going to eclipse all of that by the time we finish the book of Judges. And that's just one little chunk of Israel's history. Our Bible eclipses a total of somewhere between five and 6,000 years of Jewish history. So sometimes paying attention to that timeline gets a little difficult. So here we are, verse 1, they've been under the hand of Midian now for seven years. And we talked about the Midianites in some detail last week, and the Bible gives us some of those here in verse 2. Let's read verses 2 through 6 together. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for, the, for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass, for they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it, and Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Giving us an idea of where the Midianites were at, what they were doing. So it's not just the Midianites. We've got the Amalekites, and it says the children of the east, kind of a generic term. These people were coming in, and I mentioned this last week, they were coming in and out. It wasn't like they came in and just set up camp and set up shop, the Bible gives us indication when Israel had sown, the Midianites came up. So after they had planted all of their crops, massively agrarian culture at this time period, if you didn't grow food, you didn't eat. They came up when the crop was ready to be harvested, stole everything, and then went home again. And then waited till next year when everything was grown, stole everything, and then went home again. And the Bible directly tells us the children of Israel, look at verse 6, and Israel was greatly impoverished. Of all the times, by the way, in anything, this is one of the only times in your Bible that the children of Israel would have been about this low because of the way God uses the phrasing here, greatly impoverished. If you go back up, they're actually living in, in verse 2, living in dens and mountains, caves. They were literally hiding in caves. They had actually resorted to becoming, if you will, and not the evolutionary standpoint, but cavemen. Quite literally, they were living in caves. Why? Because it was easier to defend themselves in a hole in the ground than it was to stay in their homes. Bible told us during the time of Deborah that the children of Israel didn't travel by highway. They traveled by byway. They took the long way around everywhere they went. Why? Because they were trying to hide. At this point, it's no longer they're in their home and they have to sneak around. They're not even in their homes anymore. They're, they're, they're at the bottom of the barrel. They're at the lowest that they're probably going to get. By the way, possibly the lowest they get during the entirety of the book of Judges. The Midianites were ruthless, came in. And when the Bible says greatly impoverished, you've got to imagine this is an era where people are dying of starvation because there's not enough food. I, I believe I can safely say none of us have personally experienced that. Yes, we've been hungry, 
Boo-hoo, you didn't get your bacon, egg, and cheese this morning. But you can go right after church and you'll be fine. We're talking an entire year's crops. Gone. What do you feed your kids at that point? Look at this. It says sheep, ox, and ass. That's all the animals that can also produce milk. That can produce cheeses and other dairy products. That's all gone. And that was a large portion of their diet. That's all the fat in their diet. That's also, by the way, most of their meat. You do realize that the ox and the sheep, that's two of the clean animals Jews were allowed to eat as meat. They're being wiped out year in, year out for seven straight years. So as we're getting into this story of Gideon, you have to kind of put yourself in their mindset just a little bit. These people are absolutely destitute. They're probably not just at the point of starvation, they're well beyond that because this is seven years in. Could you imagine putting all of that work into growing everything up, all of these crops, and the moment it becomes harvest time, these groups of people just hoard in, like the Bible uses the term grasshoppers on purpose, giving us that indication that they just came in and devoured everything in the land, and then they left again, and you're just left there in your hole in the ground with nothing. Verse 7, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. That may be, by the way, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It took them seven years of that before they asked God for help. And we, we, uh, we'll read the Bible and, man, that's really, that's really dumb. Why would you do that? We do the same stuff. We struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. And finally, we hit a breaking point. And we're like, God, I need help. And he's like, yeah, duh. But it's, it took these people seven years, finally, after all that. God, where are you? Can you help us? In verse 8, God responds almost immediately because God answers prayer. By the way, he didn't answer this prayer the way they were hoping for right away. What did he do? He didn't say, yes, I will deliver you immediately. No, he sends them a prophet to tell them off first. Verse eight, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Pause. This prophet comes in and just recounts all the amazing things God's done for them. And you realize at the very end of that, in, in verse 10, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites. He's literally narrowing down all of the rules, if you will, that he gave them, all the commandments to just one. Just one. I am the Lord your God, fear not the gods of the Amorites. That's, that's one singular rule. Look at the end, but ye have not obeyed my voice. There's a whole bunch of people in this world today that complain that the Bible is just this list of rules and do's and don'ts, and it's so hard, because how are you supposed to follow all these rules? It's not hard. We have one. Obey God. Love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The rest of it? just kind of falls into place. And that's all, he literally, God narrowed it down to this one singular rule right here. Have you read through Exodus, parts of Leviticus and Deuteronomy? 
there's a lot of rules that the Jews had to follow. By the way, some weird ones. You should be glad we don't have some of those rules. They had some, they had some stringent rules, and it boiled down in God's mind to one. I'm your God. If I'm your God, everything else falls in place. And that's the problem. We don't put God first. If you put God first, you love the Lord your God. You put him first. The rest of the rules that are in here, and by the way, there are a bunch of them. One of them's don't kill people. That gets harder and harder as the world progresses, okay? But the rules in here become easier and easier to follow the closer you get to God. It's, it's literally, it, it's one rule with a whole bunch of sub points. It's like rule number one, and then one A, one B, one C, one D, and then you're like into the like quadruples of all those. Why? Because if you love God, the rest of it just literally, da, 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 all dominoes into place. And God's telling his people that. They prayed, they cried unto God, God, we need your help. And his first response is, do what I told you to do. Do what I told you to do. Why do you think he, he responded that way? Because he's God the father. That's how a good parent would respond. Well, I told you to do this and you didn't do it. That's why you got in trouble. By the way, between verse 10 and verse 11, at some point, we have to take a bit of an assumption here. You didn't obey. The prophet tells them that. They must have had a change of heart somewhere in here because God did send them a deliverance that they were praying for. Did he not? Okay, we got into that just a bit last week. So there's some, somewhere in here, this unnamed prophet's message did not go unheeded because he promised he would deliver them if they obeyed. That's going back into Joshua. That's going back into one of Moses' last commandments. You do what's right, I'll keep you. Some point in here, they had to have actually taken this message and obeyed because why else would God have delivered them at this time? I think that's logical. Verse 11. This is the section where we left off last week. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite. Uh, Abi, yeah, Abiezrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And we, this is right around where we left off. Gideon, instead of threshing wheat at the top of the hill, the wine presses were usually down near the bottom of the hill because they were usually done near water. Okay, so we're, we have to assume a wine press would be near fresh water. That way they can clean everything, clean up, and have fresh water to make their grape juice and whatever else. He's, instead of threshing wheat at the top of the hill where he's going to be obvious and seen, he's doing this hidden behind this wine press. Why? Because he needs food. His family needs food to survive. Okay? He's got to have some kind of sustenance. And at this point, it's, it's do or die. I've heard a lot of talk, and you've probably heard pastors say, oh, yeah, he's just this wimpy guy hiding behind stuff. No, he's smart, because if he hides this, he's actually got food to take home to his family. That, that's not a wimpy thing. That, that's being intelligent, and you hide. You and I don't speed when there's a cop on the road. We speed when there are no visible cops on the road. Okay? Why? Because we think we're smart. Okay? That's how that works. This, he's hiding this. Why? Because he has to feed his family. So he's doing it in the best way he can think of that's going to allow him to take bread home, quite literally, for his kids and his wife here. 
And the angel of the Lord, verse 12, appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Mark that by that word, that word mighty. That comes up again in, in this uh, account of Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Do, uh, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. This angel shows up, starts talking to Gideon, calls him this mighty man of valor, which we're going to get into a little bit today. But Gideon's first response is, if God is with us, why has he let all this happen? That's probably one of the most iconic age-old questions. If God is so good, why does he let bad things happen? And he even calls it out. Where's all those miracles he talked about? What about, didn't he bring us out of Egypt? You realize that this little statement here is almost repeating what the prophet had said. Meaning Gideon had listened here. Where, where, where's all that stuff? I've heard all these amazing things that he's supposed to have done. Where is it? Why is he letting us do this? Why am I hiding here trying to get enough food to feed my family today if God is so good? That may be the most accurate human response in your Bible. If God's so good, why is he letting this happen to me? And don't act like you're special. We've all been there. Why? Because we're human and we're made of flesh and flesh fails, flesh forgets. Why? Maybe because we didn't write it down. Maybe we forgot to read the part that God wrote down and we forget where God's good all the time, even in the bad circumstances. And here's where things get a little bit interesting. This angel isn't just an angel. This is, this is Jesus Christ appearing to Gideon. And we have some evidence of that. Look down at verse 14. Verse 14 says, and the Lord, is your Bible like mine and that's all capitalized? L-O-R-D in all caps, that's Jehovah God. And the Lord looked upon him and said, look at verse 16, it says, and the Lord said unto him, verses uh, 19 through 21, and this is the one that really sets this off as being different from an angel. If you read throughout your Bible, angels appeared to different people to give messages back and forth. And most of the time in the Bible, when an angel has shown up, the person that the angels appeared to has fallen down in fear. Read Ezekiel. Some of these angels that God created are crazy looking. One of them has multiple wings, and those wings are full of eyeballs. Unless he's got amazing contact lenses or goggles, how does he fly with eyeballs full of wings? Right? Some of them were glowing. There's flaming swords. These people, if you read through your Bible, most of the people come in contact with an angel fall down in fear. Gideon never does that, which gives us a bit of an indication. But in verses 19 through 21, Gideon makes an offering to this angel. There have been other instances in the Bible where somebody tried to make an offering or make an altar in front of the angel and the angel has always refused. This one didn't, meaning he knew he was worthy of an offering. There's only one that can be worthy of an offering and that's God. This is, and, and here's the problem, and not a problem. Here's a definition, an explanation. This can't be God the Father. Go to John chapter one. John chapter one. Look at verse 18 with me. John chapter one, verse 18. That's why I keep three by five cards in my Bible to mark where I'm at. John chapter one, verse 18 says, no man hath seen God at any time. Well, 
If we can't see God, how's Gideon talking to him? Okay, we can't see the Holy Spirit because literally it's in the name, Holy Spirit. This had to be Jesus. There's no other option because the Bible uses, go back to Judges chapter 6, repeatedly here. Repeatedly. In verse 11, in verse 12, in verse 13, in verse 14, in verse 16, and all the verses directly discussing this angel, it's capital L-O-R-D. This is God in the flesh appearing to Gideon. So when Jesus shows up and says, thou mighty man of valor, this isn't just an angel. This isn't just a messenger. This is God saying, hey, I know who you are because I created you. Before I formed thee in thy mother's womb, I knew thee. It's a paraphrase of Jeremiah. He knows exactly who he's dealing with. Why? Because he's the creator of all. God is calling him out. And can you think about this for a split second? Gideon may not have initially recognized who this was. You do realize this was in an era where we, we, we've been blessed, by the way, being offered salvation the way we are. Is When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us, lives inside us. We have access to God at any point. During this portion of history, they did not. And you realize at this point, Gideon was probably the only person in Israel that God was talking to, especially face-to-face. Look back at the other judges we've talked about. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, none of them. God didn't show up face-to-face to talk to any of them. Gideon, Gideon's unique. God shows up right to his face and says, Hey, thou mighty man of valor, the Lord is with thee. Verse 12, the Lord is with thee. That should have been a clue maybe to him as to who was talking to him. The Lord is with thee. Hey, it's me, God. You're a mighty man of valor. Okay, where's your miracles? You did stuff in the past. Why are you letting this happen? By the way, that gives us an idea of him being a mighty man of valor. You realize how bold the statements he's making if he did recognize who he was talking to? And don't act like you're like Gideon was special. We tend to talk to God like he's not actually God sometimes. Don't give me instances, but anybody ever told God off before? That's not our finest moment as a human being or a Christian. Gideon's doing that, but he's doing something none of us have ever done. He's doing it to God's face. By the way, you do realize God could have just, and Gideon's toast. But he let him. Why? He loves us in spite of who and what we are. He recognizes the greatness that he's indwelled us with in spite of our idiocy. That, that should give us hope. Should give us some hope. And let's jump in with verse 14 here. And the Lord looked on him and said, go in this thy might. There's that word again, might. Gideon just tells God off to his face. You did all these miracles. You brought us out of Egypt. Where you at? Why haven't you delivered us from the Midianites? And the Lord looked on him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Gideon's last statement here is, But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And God's like, No, I didn't. That's your job. Uh, uh, Excuse me? What? 
I'm hiding behind a wine press to get bread. Hmm? I thought you were going to do this. You, I, the internal conflict going on in Gideon's brain had to have been mind-blowing right here. Quite literally. Pun intended there. Because, like, I, I thought you were going to do the delivering. I have to be part of that? I, mm. and by the way, I, I think that's a logical thought because, and he said unto him, oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. Um, God, how am I going to do that? First off, we don't have any money. We're poor and I am on the lowest ranking in my own family. Um, can you do the delivering and I just stay here trying to figure out how to get bread? I think you'd be better suited at that. You know, my brother's really strong. Maybe you pick him. By the way, how many of us have ever had that conversation with God ourselves? Hey, I need you to do something. I don't know about that one, Lord. I, mm, you know, I think Rich might be better at that one. He, he might, mm, yeah, mm, mm. And sometimes it's as simple as, hey, you should give a track to that person. He's scary looking. There was a guy at the gym, uh, I, I stopped going to the edge a couple months ago, but about six or seven months ago, there was this humongous human being in the gym, just this big beastly guy wearing a Hell's Angels t-shirt. And he's just walking around like, he was like looking like, like angry, like he wanted somebody to just like say something to him so he could bite his head off. And I just walked up to him, I said, how long have you been riding with the angels? Are you asking me that question? I said, yeah, I believe I just did. Oh, uh, uh, about 15 years. Oh, Okay. What do you ride? Started talking about Harleys. Grandpa rode Harleys for a long, long time. Grandpa wasn't in the Hells Angels, but did ride with them occasionally. And I, I was like, yeah, my grandpa used to ride with the Hells Angels back in the 60s when they were actually, you know, bad dudes. Uh-oh. I invited him to church. I've invited him to church two or three times since then. I don't know if he's ever going to come. He might have just bought that T-shirt on eBay for all I know. He just really wanted to look bad and scary. I'm, I'm not, I don't have a clue. But there's some people that are just like that. And, and, and Gideon's like, you know, why don't you pick that guy? The, you know, the big scary guy. He'd do a lot better. And, and the angel Lord, no, go in this thy might. You're the mighty man of valor. But, 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 but God, I, I thought you were going to deliver Israel. I am. I'm using you to do it. I, I am. Mm. Is this not, I told you, Gideon's got one of the most human responses of any of the judges that's recorded for us. Because his response is repeatedly, I don't know about that one, God. I don't know about that. There's somebody else that's probably better at that. I don't know if you, you all realize this and know this. We don't like being up here. This isn't our jam. It's not our favorite thing to do. My hand is literally shaking right now. I don't like this part. I'd rather be back. My favorite is actually where Mrs. Graff is back there. I like back there because I can stare at the back of your heads. It's my favorite. I don't like but God told me to be here. I might not be good at it, but the, I have to do what God told me to do. God tells us to do stuff, and we, we argue these kinds of points with him all the time. But go back to verse, what was it? Verse 12, I apologize. Yeah, verse 12, thou mighty man of valor. Who's talking to Gideon here? God. Verse 14, go in this, thy might. Who's talking to him here? God, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. God calls us to do things all the time. We don't always want to do them. Why? Because we're weak. Because we're tired. Because we're scared. 
Because we're wimps. Because we're lazy. There's all kinds of answers. Go in this thy might. Gideon, uh, let me give you a little list here. Gideon had the might of the humble. He's threshing wheat behind a wine press, trying to hide here. So he's, he's obviously willing to humble himself and, and do stuff that nobody else would maybe want to do. Gideon had the might of the caring. He cared about his family enough to risk himself to feed them. Gideon had the might of knowledge. He knew God had done some great things. Did he not call that out in the earlier verses? He knew. It was just at that point, it was a head knowledge, not a, a belief, not a faith. Gideon had the might of being hungry for something. God, why have you left us? Why haven't you delivered us? It gives us the idea that he was hungry for something here. Gideon had the might of being teachable. He responded to God. God called him out. Look at what it says again. And he uh, let's see, have, uh, verse 14, right at the end, have not I sent thee? I don't know about that one, God. Verse 16, and the Lord said unto him, surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. He must have taken this, because read through the rest of chapter six. He follows God's orders to a T. He was teachable. And he had the might of the weak. God's strength is perfected in weakness. Go to 2 Corinthians with me. I'm almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 9. You, some of you may be able to even quote this verse. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Gideon, some point, recognized, in spite of my excuses, in spite of my weakness, God's got this. And he went with it. And he went with it. That's, that's a level of might that sometimes we don't think about. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Most of you should have several of these verses nearly memorized because Pastor did, this, did a series on this, these verses for weeks on Sunday mornings. Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Verse 12. We take that back to Judges. Go in this thy might. The might of the poor in spirit, the might of them that mourn, the might of the weak, the might of those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, the might of the merciful, the might of the peacemakers, the might of those persecuted for righteousness. Go in this thy might. God's given us everything we need to do to succeed. He's given us everything. Go in this thy might. By the way, if you go back to Judges chapter 6 and verse 14, the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might. That's a command 
that's not just a random statement. That is a direct command from the face of God himself. If that were part of the New Testament, we would have put those in red because those are the words of Jesus. Go in this thy might. We have every excuse under the sun to not do this or not do that that God wants us to do. Go in this thy might. We can. We should. But here's my question. Will we? Will we? Will we do something for God? It may not be big. It may be small. We may not deliver an entire nation from an actual enemy in battle. Although that would be cool. I'd love to watch Mrs. Agro do that. That would be very cool. Don't mess with her. Okay? He may not call us into battle. But he may call you to reach someone. He may call you to walk across the street. (gasps) That's like 25 feet. Look both ways and go. Go in this thy might. God's given you the strength. He's given you the ability. And he knows who you are because he created you. He knows what you're capable of. But are you and I willing to stop making excuses like Gideon and just go get the work done? Because right after this, Gideon has a few other worries. Again, I'm telling you over and over again, Gideon may be the most human of all the judges as far as what God records, because he questions God a few times, doesn't he? We're going to find out a little bit more about that next week, and we question God all the time. We do. But Gideon went and became a mighty man of valor, did he not? He's recorded throughout all of human history as saving his people in battle and then leading them for years afterwards. Why? Because he trusted God. I want to be remembered like that. Not as this strong, powerful human being, but somebody who trusted God. Because that's huge. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for everything you do for us.